You're listening to the 9 a.m. Sunday School Class, led by Pastor Greg Voorhees at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church on Sunday, April 30th, 2023. For more information about SVBC, you can visit their website, svbcfamily.com, or you can find them on all things social, at svbcfamily. Finish up Lesson 2, and we'll dive right into 3. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Father, I just ask that you, you continue to have your will in this place and in the study, God. And as we continue to search your word and search our hearts, God, we just pray that we glorify you. Lord, make us more like Jesus, we pray. Amen. All righty. We'll do two questions left on our, our study. We're going to go to page 52. Not showing the the end, the last video for uh, season or, or the second lesson, just because it was just picks up where we left off when we saw them doing the Shabbat meal and them, them just finishing with Mary, Mary doing the Shabbat meal. That's, but the uh, we will watch the video for the uh, beginning of the third one. All right, let's go. Let's go to oh, page fifty-two. Let's go ahead. Mind you, we've been talking about rest. Let's look at number nine here. God, God is with me in. What is something that, that God has been with you, some type of situation, some type of thing that's going on that where you've needed rest or, or just needed God in general, where God's with you in it? You know, somebody want to share a situation or a thing? Yes. That way, everything is a, it's a real answer. No, you're absolutely right. God is with me and everything. Absolutely. Yeah. God's, God's with us through everything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're glad to have you here today. God is with us when we struggle physically. You know that that's uh, there's there's a lot of a lot of physical pain in this church. I mean, it's uh, I can always I can tell you when it's going to rain, our attendance is always down because people hurt. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not a uh, it's just a sad reality of life. I'm, I'm I mean, you know, my knees. I can usually tell you when it's going to rain about twelve hours before it starts. Unfortunately, though, it's not debilitating for me. I mean, it hurts. You know, I, I've got my, I've, I've got my, my uh, Tylenol and my naproxen and stuff I carry, and that usually, you know, carries me across. You know, and I'm, I'm good then. But for some people, it's a lot more complicated than that. You, you know, I know Sue was up all night long with, you know, just stiff and, and the, her nerves firing off and pain. I mean, so, and I know this. I mean, I've seen this firsthand. You, you know, the, the weather is hard on people. Absolutely. You know, I don't know what the deal is with that. I'm not 100% sure science does. I think it has a lot to do with pressure, because that's the one thing we, we do know with the, you know, whenever rain's coming, the, the atmospheric pressure changes. And I think the atmosphere and the earth actually affects our bodies more than, than what we've really even dug into. I, I, I can tell you from you know, over 30 years of 
working the road that full moons always bring out craziness. That's true. I, I, who knows why? But I do know this, and it's just my theory, that the moon, if you think about it, it's strong enough that it controls our tides. In, in fact, I don't know if you've really studied oceanography at all, or but wherever the moon is directly above the ocean, there's actually even a bulge of water where, where, the, where the gravity actually almost like lifts the water in that place. So if the moon can affect the ocean, why couldn't it affect what goes on inside us? It's, you know, who knows? You know, but I do know these things. That, but God is with us when we struggle with these things, you know, whether they're atmospheric or, you know, or some of us just worn our bodies down. You know, I've got, you know, I've got arthritic knees and, and back, and they've done all the x-rays, and it's not inflammatory. Basically, it's I've worn, worn these things down. <laughs> you know, so it's... Most of it, I think a lot of it, well, football had a lot to do with it, and then also the... Um, um, when I was a medic, it wasn't like it is today. Today they've got these fancy cots. They put the patient on. It, it, I mean, it, it practically wheels them to the ambulance. It lifts the patient up, slides them. Man, we carried people. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we carried them from their bedroom all the way out to the ambulance. Sometimes. I mean, it's just it's it was just a whole different ballgame. And what I did in our hospital transports, I had a partner for a while. Her name was Mary. She was about Peggy's size. I, I mean, she was she was a little gal. So we'd get these patients, and I would have to lift them up just a little bit more because she couldn't quite get them to the back of the ambulance. You know, so it's so I do. We we have a way of torturing ourselves. So what else has God helped you with? God's been with you in what things? Has He ever helped you with your anxiety? Oh yeah. You, you know we. We as a church, we like to write off anxiety as a lack of faith. It is not that simple. <laughs> I mean, anxiety, for some people, it is a biological response. I mean, there's a chemical issue that causes them to have more anxiety than other people have. Anxiety also has a purpose. You know, fear has a purpose. He, you know, all these things, these emotions that we feel, God's put them there for a reason. The problem is that sometimes they get out of whack. You know, so anxiety kind of steers us away from things. Fear definitely steers us away from things. You know, but some, sometimes when, when, when we let these emotions get out of whack, God has to walk with us through these things. He, you know, hard times in general. I mean, everybody here has gone through those. I mean, we all got a few years behind there under our belts. I mean, we know what hard times are like. God walks with us through these things. And I would dare say that when we walk through these times, the, uh, he is the only rest sometimes we get. Because our, our, our busy, busy brains, our busy, busy emotions, even if it's a normal response to what we're going through, sometimes the only time we find rest is in him. You know, sometimes it, sometimes, and I've told people, and what little counseling I've, I've, I've done, sometimes you, you just need to ask God, help me shut my brain up. You know, help me, help me get a hold of this. Help shut my brain down. Because there, there's people 
there are people that just think all the time. It just doesn't stop. You, you know, and it's just like, and there are people that their situations put them in those, you know, you know, if you're in any kind of, of, of you know, leadership position in any way, you think when you walk away from the church or walk away from your job or walk away from your small group, whatever it is, that you stop thinking about those things? Of course not. Sometimes you have to have, have God say, just help me shut my brain up, God. So God is with me through these, these times of, of, of our busy brains, too. I want to look at each of these, these scriptures. We're going to look at number 10 on page 53. I'm going to take a drink of coffee and we'll start opening these up. It says to reread these, or these, these passages. Which of these verses brings you a feeling of rest, peace, and hope, and why? Because it says reread, I'm sure they're already in, in, in our lesson, but sometimes it's just faster just to look it up in the Bible than it is to try to find it in the book. <laughs> so let's go to Psalms. Do, 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 do. Psalms 56. You can do that thing when, you're, when you do kids' groups. You have the Bible drill. Yeah, the, you know, turn to... Yeah, da, da, da. And then the kids are like, turn real quick, try to get there. Psalm 56, 8. It says this. Record my lament. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? And another psalm tells us that they are. Another psalm says, tells us that he saves all of our tears in a bottle. That's the way it's worded in the King James and the New Living Translation. I think that's a, that's a great description. So, so how would this, actually let's break this down one by one. So let's just pick out which of these. How does the scripture that says, no, 56.8, record my lament, list my tears in your scroll, they are, not, are they not in your record? Question. How does that give you anybody rest, hope, or peace? The the the, the passage that we read. Did you, did you read it in yours? Fifty-six eight. How does that give you rest, hope, or peace? Oh, so it actually even says that. So, so how does that does that does that give you rest, hope, or peace in any way? Yes, it, it, it says that he's paying attention. It, it says that he's paying attention and that I, I think this gives me a lot of peace, knowing that even those stray thoughts that we have when we're all alone and we think that you know, it, 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 nobody else knows about, God knows about it. So, so storing your tears in the bottle... I mean, there is, did, did any of y'all read the book, The Shack, or watch the movie? Well, that's the reason, to be honest, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't engage with it for years, but when when God comes back later as a, as a man, he says, he says, today you need a father. Basically, 
And I struggled with that but until I understood what it was. You know, basically God was representing to him what he needed at that time. Because, because God is complete. God is whole. God, God has both masculine and feminine characteristics. He's, he's, he's whole, just like Adam was. Adam was, Adam was whole before, he, before Eve, and, and he separated those things. So I did struggle with that. I, I did until I really kind of got, kind of got where I was going with it. But there's a scene in the end. When you, if you watch the movie, I'm sure it's the same way in the book, but when I see it, when I saw it, it was powerful for me because it was this scripture. If you don't know the scripture, you wouldn't have. The guy at the end, um, he's, he's, he, he's goes, he cries about his daughter that, that was killed. And the person who was playing the Holy Spirit, Seraph, when he went to, when he went to cry, she comes up and she grabs that tear off of his cheek and puts it in a bottle and puts it away. And at the end of the movie, she takes those tears and she waters the garden of, of, of where the child was buried and, and the flowers grow. So, so it's just like, isn't that kind of what God does? I, I mean, those, those little tears, he does capture these things. Uh, they're restored in his bottle. He records every one. And then what was so beautiful is at the end that he that the, the hardest thing in his life, he ended up God ended up using that thing to create beauty. He, you know, the, the flower garden where where his his child was was laid to rest. He, you know, so that was that was a crazy thing. But I love that scripture for that reason. But that does give me hope, and that gives me peace, knowing that God is not apathetic. It is so easy when you're in tough times for a long time to think that God's not paying attention or that God doesn't care. And, and this is really huge, you know, outside of the world of believers. One of, the, one of their big beefs with God is they don't think that He cares. <laughs> but the Bible shows us in scriptures like this, oh, He, that he cares very much. You know, and this was before the crucifixion. I don't know how anybody could argue that God doesn't care after the crucifixion. I mean, it just washes out any argument that you would ever possibly have. You know, giving his son and what his son did for us, to say that God is apathetic, that he's not noticing what's going on, the crucifixion and the resurrection would wipe away any of those arguments. But this was something that was, it was in the Psalms. This was before the, 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 the resurrection. And they still got, they still got that every tear is noticed by God. You know, does he have a physical bottle someplace and he's sticking those tears? Who, who knows? The, 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 the Psalms are poetry, you know, so there really might not be a physical bottle, but it, 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 it pictures a very beautiful picture of the attention that God pays to you. You know, you know the fact that, that God is so into you that, he doesn't, let, that, he, that he, he doesn't let a single tear go unnoticed and he cares about every single one of them. You know, so whether it's literal or it's poetry or it's 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 an analogy in poetry, I think it's a beautiful picture. <laughs> it just really, really is. Was there anybody else before we go to the next one? All right, let's go to Matthew ten thirty.
Oh, here's another good one. Let's give you another second. Matthew 10.30 says, And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So this is even more, to me, this is even a, a more detailed than catching your tears. Mind you, some of us, it's a little easier to keep track of the number of hairs than others. You know, I, I, you know, give me another few years, I might know how many are up there. Who knows? But the, the fact that every human that has ever lived, God can tell you... This is, how, this is how cool God is. Let's, let's expand on this, not that you need to. You can, you can say, on January 23rd, 1963, how many hairs was on Bruce Corr's head? You want to know what God can tell you? He can. You know, on, let's look in the future. Okay, December 23rd, you know, 2026. How many hairs will be on Kathy Tilton's head? He can tell you. I, I mean, that, that's kind of a, it gives me hope too, not only that God knows that much about me, that he cares that much about me to know how many hairs are up on my, my noggin up here. It, it's, it's the fact that because they are numbered, it says, it's not, it just doesn't say that he knows how many, they are numbered. He is he is paid attention to and, and taking the time to number each one of those. God can say, what the, what's the difference? I could pull his hair out doink, and say, what number of hair was this? God would say 496. You, you know, that's that's the kind of attention that God pays to you. Every single one of you. Every single one in the world that whatever was and ever will be, God pays that type of attention to. If that doesn't give you peace, I don't know what would. I just don't know what would. How about anybody else? Does that, does that jump out at you as being a scripture that gives you rest, hope, or peace? Nope. Moving forward, let's look at Luke 12, 7. Is it? Oh, does it get so farther? Luke 12, 7. Let's see. It says, Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So it does, that does add an extra piece there. What else is, what else does, what else does Jesus say about God's attention to us and sparrows? Yes. Jesus says that not a single sparrow falls from the sky without the notice of the Father. And how much more important will you be than you are than they? So... Not only does he know, not only does he number your hairs, he says that you're more important than many sparrows, but we know that even those sparrows, God loves and pays attention to. You know, nothing in God's creation is, is, is an accident or a waste. 
You know, he has a purpose for everything. So even those sparrows, those sparrows that, that people like to use as target practice because they're just, they're just sparrows. Or, 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 you know, they're just a nuisance. They, they poop on my car. To God, they are something that is so special that not a single one falls from the sky and, and God doesn't, that escapes God's notice. But how much more important are you? You know, Jesus didn't die for sparrows. Jesus, Jesus, my pit bulls are, Jesus didn't buy, die for dogs. He didn't die for cats. He didn't die for cows. He didn't die for giraffes or elephants. Jesus only died for people. You are the only thing in creation made in the spiritual likeness of God himself. The only thing. So if he pays that attention to an animal that we don't value at all, well, I do, I feel. But you get the point. Things that we value very little, God values a lot. So how much more, how much more important are you and how much more attention is God paying to you? I think that is, a, I think that is something to give a good bit of rest and peace about we're going, to, we're going to go over to Paul now. Let's look at Romans 5.8. Oh, this is a goodie. I'm surprised that this, this is one of those that you, that you, that you memorize. You know, when you first become a believer and probably should be able to just have it at the back of your head all the time. In fact, I'm embarrassed I didn't know what it was. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, that's, we were already talking about that. If there is any demonstration of love in God's his empathy for you, it is the cross. It just absolutely is. And, and you may have heard this before. He pays so much attention to you that the Father spared not His own Son. Why? So that you could be with Him. So that you could be sanctified. So that you could be justified. So that you could be glorified. All of these things. God sacrificed His own Son. But here's the beautiful part. It's while we were yet sinners. How often? Do people think, I need to get my act straight and then go to church? Or I need to make things right and then go to God? Well, it gives me peace knowing I can't do it myself. It gives me peace to know that it's not on me. The only thing that we have to do is just accept His gift to love Him back. You know, and that's the beautiful thing. It's not even a matter of God's not sitting up on a throne someplace ordering us to love Him. He loved us first. All He wants is to be loved back. You know, and just, just, just to pay attention to Him back. He didn't meet us halfway. He, Jesus came here. He didn't, he didn't meet us halfway. He came here. You know, that, that's, that's, that's amazing. And he did it while we were yet sinners. So God doesn't care about the stuff 
But in your past, he doesn't. What he wants you to do is repent, ask for forgiveness. You want to know what? When you're a believer, you're forgiven. But it, what, and it, why is repentance so, so important? If everything's forgiven, why do we need to repent? You know, this is a rabbit trail, but it's important, and we'll, I'll bring, bring this right back. Why is repentance so important? What is repentance? Repentance really, repentance and forgiveness. You were forgiven at the cross. Is repentance a, a requirement for forgiveness? Well, there's a deep theological question for you. Is repentance a requirement for forgiveness? I'll give you my answer, and then I'll explain why, and then you can argue with me. My, my, my theology is absolutely not. I was forgiven by accepting Christ as my Lord and Savior. Why is repentance important? Because repentance, there's two aspects to repentance. Agreeing with God that you were wrong. <laughs> you, you know, so when I repent... I say, God, I'm sorry. I don't need to say I'm sorry to be forgiven. I've already been forgiven. But when I tell God I'm sorry, I'm saying, I agree with you. I messed up. This is what you said to do. This is what I did. We're on the same page, God. When we repent, we tell God we're on the same page. We understand we messed up. The other half, when you look at, when you look at teshuva, or, or, this act of repentance in Greek, it has that characteristic of a turning away. So it is, repentance is important because it's not good enough just to be sorry. You have to try to not do it again. Will you make the same mistake again? Absolutely. Then you need to repent again. You need to keep repenting, repenting, repenting until you stop doing that stupid thing. I mean, you need to keep turning away and turning away. If life or whatever steers you back, you got to repent and turn away again. Until, but, but your forgiveness does not weigh on your repentance. But your repentance is super important in your life with God because A, it shows Him that you, yes, not that you need to show Him, He gets it. It also shows you're on the same page and that what He tells you is important. The, the, the desire to be sorry, or the, being sorry and the desire to turn away shows God and shows me that I'm serious about my faith and that I want to do what He wants me to do. So repentance, regardless, if you, di if you disagree with me, that yeah, you have to repent to be forgiven. If you believe that, fine, God bless you. But, 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 but what you need to understand is repentance is so important either way. Because we need to let God know that we're on the same page. We need to show Him we're on the same page. And we don't break old patterns unless we, when we stop turning away. We will struggle with things. There, every one of us struggles with something. I don't care what that is. If you're not struggling, you're dead. And, and, and I don't mean to say that flippantly. The only time that you won't struggle is when you're absent from the body and present with God. So if you're still here, you're struggling with something. It is important that, that we can constantly work with God to, to not struggle with that thing. Is it, and I'll tell you, for some of us, it's, 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 it's not even super evident to us. Arrogance, pride. You know, pride goes before the fall. That's, that's, that's like a real thing. Here's a scriptural thing. God opposes the proud, 
You, you know, so sometimes, sometimes our struggle is spiritual. <laughs> you know, but we need to continue to, to work with, with God in these things. And, and how does that tie in with this, this question? It gives me hope that, that while I'm still struggling and while I'm still repenting, and while all this is going on, God is still with me. He, Jesus died for me before I even started the, the, the journey. Jesus died for me before, before I ever did any of these things, but he still died. And it gives me great peace and rest to know that my salvation is not on my shoulders. It rests on the shoulders of Christ. And, and that my perfection it's not going to happen until I'm with Him. However, as I'm working through these things and trying to be more Christ-like, to be more like Him and working with the Holy Spirit, God, Holy Spirit, mold me, shape me, bend me any way that you need. While I'm going through this process to know that while I am still sinning, Christ still died for me. If you can't get peace from that, check your pulse. Your salvation it does not rest on your shoulders. It rests on the shoulders of Christ. He made it so easy. You know what? The, the people who go to hell have no excuse. He made it so easy. He bore the price. He took the shame. All we had to do is accept it and believe. Now, let me, let me also say, though, when you accept and believe, he makes salvation easy. A walk with Christ is not easy, though. I, I can assure you that if any preacher has ever told you it's rose gardens and flowers after you've accepted Christ, let me tell you what, they're either a fool or a liar. Did you think you had it bad before? Now you've got a target on your back. The enemy doesn't really care about you when you're lost. He's already got you. He cares about you when you're saved. That's when he attacks you. You know, so believers don't. It is not rose gardens. It's not, it's, it's not rainbows and unicorns. Once you say Jesus saved me. But, but the beautiful thing is, is there's nothing I can do to work to earn my salvation. It is so great. and that There's such great peace in the fact that there's nothing I could do to, to, to you know, earn the, the grace of God because it was given to me. You know, when you get a present at Christmas, Marlene, here's your Christmas present. You know, it's a fake one. I didn't actually get you one. Do you have to work for it? No. It was a gift. That's the same way salvation is. For while we were yet, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Does that give you rest, hope, or peace? Oh, my heavens, yes. Oh, we're doing good. Let's skip over to 828. Oh, man, this is another good one. This is another one of those that... Wait a minute, 828? That's not what it said. Romans 828, that is what it says. Oh, yes. I, I quote this a lot. And we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You know what's crazy about that? Our sermon today is about your purpose. 
Every one of you are called to his purposes. And we're going to talk about in, in, in service the difference between purpose and calling because there's a huge difference. Every single one of you are called to the purposes of God. So what does that mean for a believer? Because you are called according to his purpose. All things will work to the good for you. Let me tell you the greatest misinterpretation of this passage. Because all things are good. There's a lot of bad things that God can turn into good. God takes bad things, things that, you know, let's go back to Joseph. What God intended for, what the devil intended for uh, evil, you know, God intended for good. Let, let, let's, let's, let's think about it doesn't matter what the devil throws at you. It doesn't matter what life throws at you. Because you know, life can throw things at you that the devil really doesn't have anything to do with. I, I, I know that's kind of a I know that's kind of a thing that you know we 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 might not even agree with in the church world that everything's either because God did this or Satan did that. We live in a fallen world, so you know what? I, I don't things sometimes just happen to us because we, we live in a world where sin exists. You know, it's not always Satan with a slingshot. Don't get me wrong; Satan is always there with a slingshot. Don't get me wrong, but sometimes bad things just happen. So whether it is a spiritual attack, whether it's life just happens. Or, or whatever the case may be, Paul does not say it's all good. But God can, has the ability to turn bad things into good things. Here is, and I talk about this a lot, but it's just such a beautiful example. The, 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 the exile of, of the Jewish people. Particularly that you know when they were taken in, they were all under all under Nebuchadnezzar. You know the Assyrians took one kingdom, and then the Babylonians took the, the southern kingdom, and then the Babylonians took over the Assyrians. So that now the Babylonians had everybody. But but they were this. How could anybody look at the exile from a Jewish perspective and say, "Well, that was a that worked to the good, that worked for my good," because that was not a good thing. That was not a good thing, especially if you were in the northern kingdom. If you were taken by the Assyrians, the Assyrians, may, they were brutal. I mean, the Babylonians had nothing on them in the way of brutality. The, the, the Babylonians were brutal, don't get me wrong, but the Assyrians were almost like their own little thing in history. I mean, they're the ones that would dash the babies in the rocks right in front of you just to break your spirit. You know, they pulled people out of the northern kingdom and then put in foreigners, you know, just, just, just as a slap in the face because he was trying to they were trying to delude and, 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 and just, just break the, the hearts and spirits of the Jewish people. And, and we, we saw it worked. You know, the, the Jews and the Samaritans, I mean, this is, it worked. What, what, what the Assyrians tried to do, it worked. How are any of these things good? Most of them aren't. But let me tell you about the exile. I've not seen any record of the Hebrews as a people worshiping idols after the, the exile. You just don't see it. The Lord's name in vain. I know I've talked about this, but this still blows me away. If you look at any writing by a rabbi, they don't even spell out God. It's not G-O-D, it's G underscore D because God's name's too holy to even write. And that's something that's even carried on today. 
Jewish writers to this day. When I was when, when I was in seminary and I was reading books and I would see G underscore D. I thought, well, this is a Jewish writer. You, you know, so the exile taught a reverence toward God that nothing did before that. The Egyptians didn't teach them that. <laughs> you know the you know the, the times in, in the during the era of the judges they they kept nothing fixed what was going on in the in the the, the nation of Israel in, in the way of of reverencing God, fearing God, and, and worshiping idols except the exile. So God can use horrible things and, and turn them in and, and turn a, a good outcome out of them. So think about your worst thing that's ever happened to you. You, you know, I know a lot of people, we live in a world, we live in a world where sexual assault is just just like crazy. I mean, the amount of sexual assault that goes on. I've, I've talked to a lot of people that have been raped. How can you say that something like that could be turned into something good? I'm not saying it could turn into something good, but I have seen a strength in some of these ladies that I've not seen in anybody else. You, you know, it, it, it's that is a horrible thing. I can't even wrap my head around how horrible that would be. I can't. Can't wrap my head around how the, the horrible ways that, 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 that when other people will use the bodies of, of, of other people for their pleasure. That, that's a horrible place to be. But even God can turn something that dark, not into a good thing, but He can He can use that to build strength. He can use that to build all different kinds of things. And it's not that he's it's not that he willed those things to happen. Again, we live in a fallen world. And this is what we did when we when we sinned. And I talk about creation a lot, because but creation and redemption and, and, and the future, they're all so interconnected. God gave Adam dominion of the world. Gave him, gave him the gave him dominion over this place, and he handed it over to Satan. And because it's now Satan's, is that also scriptural? Yes. The Bible calls him the prince of this world. He, you know, this, this place is his. We gave it to him. You know, but so there are things that happen that God, in order to be just, you know, there's a big difference between fairness and justice. <laughs> you, you know, fairness is that everybody gets what's good for them. Justice is sometimes... Sometimes bad things happen, but they happen within kind of within the realm of legality. You, you, you know, so some of the bad things that happen in the world, because we gave dominion to Satan, he's established as a king here. So God, if he was just the Satan, he has to allow certain things to happen. He just does. That's the justice of God. God is even just to Satan. If God wasn't just to Satan, yeah, we could say, why do bad things happen? Because God has the ability to squash them. But we gave Satan legal ground here. We gave him standing, legal standing in this place. You know, so we have two kingdoms that have to kind of wrangle and deal with one another until the return of Christ and ultimately judgment. You know, so, but, but, but it's, there's, there's, there's great peace 
in knowing that regardless how bad that thing is, God can use it. Even if it might take you 20 years, 30 years to think that, that there was ever anything good out of what bad happened to you, God, God still uses those things. Revelation 21.4. I can tell you almost everything at the end of the book. There's a lot of, there's a lot of hope and peace in it. Ah, I was right. And he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. What is the old order of things? That kingdom we let us get established here. There is a day. God, this doesn't give anybody peace. Even if you're not a believer, if you could just believe this piece of it. Of course, you're not going to get to enjoy it unless you're a believer. There is a day coming when the old order, the, the order that we now walk in, it's going to go away. It's not always going to be like this. There'll be a new heaven, there'll be a new earth. One that Jesus has been preparing for a long time. He made all this in six days. He's been working on the new heaven and earth for going on 2,000 years that we know of. It's going to be pretty amazing. But all of this stuff, the old order, the sin, the death, the pain, the people hurting each other, all of this stuff is the current order, but in, in this context, it will be the old order that goes away. There won't be any pain. There'll be no reason to cry. It's all over. Death won't happen anymore. Death will be done. What else do we read in Revelation? He throws death and hell. Where? Into the lake of fire. It won't exist anymore. All will be, it'll be existing, but it'll be existing in a very warm place that you can't get to. <laughs> Not that you would want to. So there's great hope, peace, and rest. And knowing this is, a, this is only a temporary situation. This pain that you're feeling is a temporary situation. This isn't your forever. We know it's even cooler. These people that we've been losing. I got it. This week, I had another cousin. <laughs> I tell you, I don't know what's going on. All this is going to end, and I'm going to see these folks again, the ones that were believers. That should give you hope. Not only did you get to see Jesus, well, I tell you, that's enough. That's enough right there. But the people you loved here, who love Jesus too, you're going to be with them too. That's crazy awesome. Even death for us is a temporary, death for a believer is a temporary situation. In fact, it's just basically like a metamorphosis. It's just a change in state. You grow out of this thing into something much more beautiful. I mean, that's, that's a, even death for a believer is, is 
Paul talked about it as being the, um, the goal, the end of the race, where he, and where he could claim his prize. That, there's a lot of hope in that. We're going we're gonna to finish up by watching our video for the next... I'm going to read the scripture, and then we're going to watch the video, and then we're going to pray so that we can dive right into the, to the questions or, or the content next week. But what we're turning to is Isaiah 43, 3 through 4 is going to be our next passage. It says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. That is amazing. All right, Dave, if you, David, if you can just show us our video, then we'll, then we'll, we'll pray and, and, and get ready for worship. <laughs> 